It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back. So glad you're here. First of all, thank you so much for helping us out. Uh, our show is now available on Pandora, Spotify, obviously Apple, um, all the major podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate the comments um, for and against. Uh, I love spirited debate. And so some of the comments are uh, in opposition of something they might have heard on the show. And I'm okay with that. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, long as it's done uh, with the intent to, um, what do you call it, uh, debate and, and not to, uh, you know, be filled with hate speech, I'm all for your comments. So thank you so much. On the show today, veteran, uh, veterans lawyer Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is a best-selling author as well as an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans' disability benefits and Social Security Disability Benefits. A founding partner of Jackson McNichol, Francis has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. In 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. For more information, please visit VeteransBenefits.com. VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. It's always nice to have the opportunity to chat with you. Well, I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I, I was thinking quite a bit about you. You know, uh, Senator Tuperville has reluctantly, reluctantly uh, decided to release the uh, sum or I guess a large portion of the mi military hold that uh, he was using to try to blackmail um the other senators to do what he wanted. So I was, I was thinking about you. Know, I was excited to see that he at least is helping out a little bit. Yeah, it's nice to see some progress there. I mean, a lot of, a lot of military folks were getting mistreated by that. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, anyway, I'm glad that he, uh, you know, ever so reluctantly, but I'm glad that he is uh, at least moving that forward. Anyway. But uh, I'm glad to have you on the show because I also wanted to talk about, uh, you know, uh, for a VA for closing on veterans who had elected a reduced payment during COVID. Uh, we had recently talked about this in the past, and I wanted to see what the, what the update was. Sure, Bert. Well, just just to remind the folks who are listening, what had happened was that uh, during COVID, VA worked with its uh, with the, the companies, the banks that hold various VA-backed mortgages and had allowed folks to defer payments during COVID because, as you know, there were lots of folks who were out of work or otherwise financially stressed by COVID. And so the arrangement was that they could defer these payments to the end of their loan. But what happened was that uh, after VA stopped that program, a number of the banks that held the, the loans did not defer the amounts to the end of the mortgage. Instead, uh, 
they said, okay, you have failed to pay for the last, you know, 6, 12, 24 months, and you now owe that money and please send it or we're going to foreclose. And so what happened was that approximately 6,000 veterans um, were put into foreclosure and another 34,000 were racked up as or marked up as delinquent by these various banks. So um, a number of uh, Democratic senators, when they heard about this, uh, led by John Tester, who's the the senior uh, Democratic senator on the uh, the Veterans Committee in the Senate, got in touch with the VA and said, Gee, you know, this, this really isn't right and you need to fix it. So what the VA has done is they have now uh, reinstated the COVID modification program and they have uh, asked all of the lenders to uh, suspend any foreclosures from now through May 31st uh, of 2024. And what they're going to do is they're going to um, go through their new program called the VA Servicing Purchasing Program, VASP, and they're going to buy those loans from the lenders and hold them as a direct loan portfolio uh, handled by VA directly. So the, the effect will be to stop the foreclosures and for the folks who are in default to, uh, to get them out of default. So this is a, a huge Christmas present for a lot of uh, veterans who were facing financial problems that they never anticipated when they got into the COVID uh, modification program. So uh, it's a really good thing that the VA is doing. Uh, I think it's uh, one of the nicest things that, uh, that I've seen them do in a long time. And, you know, my hat's off to Secretary McDonough for doing the right thing on this. Absolutely. This is a fantastic uh, holiday gift. Uh, I'm glad that they acted so quickly. You know, when you, when you, when you brought this uh, situation to light, I was fearing the worst because, as you know, uh, banks don't act very quickly, generally speaking, and even slower than a bank is our government. And so the fact that our government stepped in and got the banks to act so quickly is, in my opinion, a holiday miracle, right? It's a Christmas miracle or Hanukkah miracle, whatever whatever miracle you want to add to it. But either way, it's a miracle. That's fantastic. I, I think this is a really good thing. I, I, I was really pleased to see that uh, that the VA could do it. And, Bert, uh, if it's all right with you, I'd like to share with our listeners the phone number that any veteran who is facing a foreclosure out of this situation can call to make sure that his or her loan gets taken care of. Yeah. Uh, would that be all right? Yeah, okay, please. that number is that number is eight seven seven eight two seven three seven zero two. Three seven zero two. Let me read this back. Eight seven seven eight two seven three seven zero two. 
And so somebody, a veteran that is experiencing a foreclosure can call 877-827-3702 and theoretically and they put their help. foreclosure on hold. That's correct. They, those folks will help. Man, that is fantastic. Again, for everybody listening, uh, let's share this uh, let's share this message for sure. The number again, and I'm going to put it in the show notes, it's 877-827-3702. Uh, so that's fantastic. I, I think that, uh, yeah, that, that is just a, a great way to, to end the year strong for our veterans. Thank you so much uh, for uh, anybody who helped that uh, make that happen, uh, Secretary McDonough, as well as the banks. Thank you for doing that. Uh, what's happening um, with the uh, PACT Act legislation? I understand that it's brought a lot of attention to the issues of our, of our veterans who were exposed to carcinogens. What's the latest there? Well, I, I don't have any real update on the PACT Act, but what has happened is all of the services have been looking at these uh, various kinds of uh, chemical and other exposures, and the Air Force in particular um, has, has uh, found some preliminary findings that, that are concerning and that they're going to look into further. Um, at uh, Cannon Air Force Base, they, they found a, uh, a cluster of uh, uh, cases of uh, a rare brain cancer, which is very concerning, and so um, they're going to be... Uh, uh, trying to determine what that's all about, but on a on a larger scale, the folks who um, uh, were the operators at the nuclear missile sites around the country at uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota, and the F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Wyoming, the folks who uh, performed the the missile launch um, availability, if you will, services, the, the missileers, uh, all have uh, uh, developed a, a very uh, high percentage of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer, um, and a, 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 an unusually high percentage among this group of folks. So um, the Air Force is looking into that and trying to figure out what's going on there. They've gone back and done, uh, you know, water samples and soil samples and air samples, um, air quality samples at all those sites. And they haven't found anything in those, although what they have found is the, uh, the so-called PFAS chemicals, the, the so-called forever chemicals. Uh, right. There seems to be a... Uh, uh, a higher than normal concentration of those in the uh, in the area around those sites. So they're they're looking at that, but they haven't figured out obviously what what's going on. But what they have figured out is that there is an abnormally high rate of this uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer among folks who served in that role over the years. So the uh, the School of Aerospace Medicine folks at the Air Force are working to try to figure out what it is that's going on, and they're expanding their review of medical records to uh, to try to track down as many folks who served in that 
Missilier role as they can in, in order to get a better handle on uh, what's going on. The, uh, the other area that uh, has, uh, has come up is that uh, a number of uh, Air Force pilots who uh, uh, flew certain types of aircraft have uh, developed uh, a bunch of uh, uh, cancers. Uh, the folks that flew the, the Navy's uh, Hawkeye radar plane, uh, radar plane in particular, um, have uh, have developed a lot of cancer, and, and it's, it's unclear whether there's something about the uh, the radar system in those planes, or 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 something else about the planes that that is causing that. But again, it's a it's an issue that uh, the Air Force is is trying hard to look into. And you know the the whole uh, the the point really that I wanted to make with all this is that uh, with the PACT Act and the surrounding inquiries into various exposures, all of the uh, services are now paying much more attention to this issue of uh, chemical and carcinogen and radiation exposure uh, than they ever were before. And that's that's really what has brought these problems to light. And it is, it is to be hoped that uh, this inquiry will lead to both uh, possibilities for treatment for those folks and obviously... Uh, benefits for folks for whom treatment doesn't uh, fully remediate the conditions. So it's uh, not directly related to the PACT Act, but it is, I think, a reflection of the, of the what I think of as a real sea change within the, uh, the various services to recognize that putting folks in uh, harm's way in terms of exposure to everything from uh, fumes from the burn pits in the Middle East to um, radiation exposure from uh, these various assignments in the Air Force is uh, something that the services are responsible for and should be paying attention to. And I'm hopeful it will ultimately lead to uh, an appropriate kind of uh, grant of, of medical attention or, or uh, service connection or both for all of these folks. Yeah. You know, I'm always, I'm always amazed uh, that uh, there seems to be a pattern, unfortunately, with our military. And, and I don't think there's evil intent. I don't believe any of our military leaders would put anybody in harm's way. I think that when you're dealing with this massive body that is known as the Department of Defense, uh, there's, uh, it's very, uh, uh, not only very large, but, but very bureaucratic, and a lot of things fall through the crack. And I believe that this is very common among any large corporation that Sometimes the left does not know what the right is doing or vice versa. So uh, hopefully they will they will focus on this and, and move quickly or quicker. 
I, I'm hopeful on that, Bert, and I, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think, you know, when you have these large organizations trying to accomplish various goals, and particularly uh, in uh, war, war-type settings, they're not focused necessarily on the potential side effects. And I'm happy to see that that it seems like um, all of the services within the Department of Defense are now uh, starting to pay more attention to those issues and think about how they can take better care of their people or at least treat the people who, for whom it is too late to take preventive care. So um, I, I think uh, it, it may just be a, uh, a new day dawning on that issue, and it's, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's talk about uh, the uh, research that the VA has been doing on PTSD. Uh, what are the developments there on that, on those issues? Well, that's actually very interesting, Bert, um, or, or at least for a, a veterans benefits nerd like me. But uh, <laughs> what, what's going on is uh, the, the VA, you know, keeps looking at PTSD because it's it's such a problem within the, the veteran community. And there's a recent study that that uh, what they did was they uh, examined people. Um, under uh, MRI so that you could see various kinds of brain activity. And they would, they would get folks to think about, talk about, focus on various, uh, various things. But what they found was that folks with PTSD, when they got them to, to focus on the underlying events that caused the PTSD, instead of finding those in the part of the brain where they expect to find memory, um, it's an area of the brain called the hippocampus for those who are interested, but um, instead of finding the, uh, the brain activity there, when they talked about these PTSD events or thought about them or focused on them, um, there's a different part of the brain that lit up. It, it, uh, again, for those who are, who are nerds about this thing like I am, it's called the posterior cingulate cortex. That's part of the cortex, obviously. But, but the important part is that the PTSD recollections or reliving by the patients triggered a different part of the brain than normal memory. Um, and so that may ultimately lead to some real um, discoveries about how to better treat PTSD because it is, it is clear that these experiences that people have had that have triggered PTSD affect them in a way that goes beyond normal memories of, of bad or unpleasant events. And somehow it has, it, triggers a different section of the brain to deal with these issues. So that may ultimately um, allow the, the researchers to figure out better ways to treat it because what seems to be happening is that if people have traumatic enough memories that it triggers PTSD, 
that essentially they are reliving those as opposed to remembering them. And, and the brain is, is treating those things in an entirely different way, which is why it causes these changes in behavior and activity and, and function that we, we call PTSD. So it's, um, it, it, it may turn out to be a really big deal. You, you, you just never know with this kind of research where it will ultimately lead, whether it's, whether it's going to lead to something that's, uh, that's huge or whether it's going to be a kind of a flash in the pan. But uh, I'm always hopeful when I see these, uh, these new developments in PTSD that uh, folks will, uh, will ultimately be able to translate that into better treatment. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and, and I'm grateful, again, because it, it took a long time for our Veterans Administration to acknowledge PTSD and to acknowledge these mental uh, issues, uh, mental illnesses and stuff like that. And, and we know, or at least we know now, that our brain is a very complex system, and the reality is, and PTSD is a great example of this, that our brain cannot tell the difference between something that is being relived or reimagined versus reality. If anybody's had a nightmarish dream where it felt real and it woke you up and you were breathing hard and, and maybe even sweating, that's what a lot of our PTSD uh, veterans live with, but they're awake. Something, a sound or a smell triggers their PTSD, and, and all of a sudden they're, they are thrown back into whatever nightmare uh, created that PTSD. So I'm glad that they are uh, focusing on this and, and uh, are starting to make headway into understanding what's happening. It, it does seem promising, Bert. As I said, you, you never know whether it will whether it will lead to a big breakthrough or just be a flash in the pan. But I I am very hopeful that it will lead to a breakthrough. I, you know, the one one of the things that the VA has done well, I think, uh, Lord knows they they've done some things that haven't gone well. But but uh, one of the things that they have done well is they have really developed some truly specialized research and treatment for PTSD uh, in, in ways that um, most other mental health specialty facilities have not. And I, I am pleased to see that they're continuing to do that and that it looks like uh, they, they may have the potential for a home run here. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, let, let's talk about this. Uh, I know that uh, homeless veterans uh, continues to be uh, an issue. We've discussed this multiple times. Uh, you and I have actually uh, attended a, an event with uh, Randy Couture, who's also quite involved with homeless vets. What's, uh, what's going on with this? What's the progress uh, on the problem? Well, there are couple of different things, Bert. Uh, one um, one is, uh, is more research. Um, and what, uh, what they've found is that about 45% of 
women veterans who are homeless, uh, just just women, not the entire okay. group of homeless, um, have suffered from military sexual trauma, specifically documented in their in their records, and uh, typically that's associated with PTSD, as you know. But uh, uh, one of the things that uh, they're looking at is whether that is a factor in uh, continuing or recurrent homelessness for for those women. And it appears that it is. And if, in fact, that is the case, then it may be possible to, to get ahead of this problem by uh, looking at female veterans who have a history of military sexual trauma and flagging them, if you will, for... Uh, support in in terms of uh, housing programs like the VASH um, housing vouchers and so on. Uh, so it's uh, it's another step uh, toward uh, you know finding uh, ways that we can get ahead of the problem. And so that uh, uh, that piece of information is is you know one more thing that helps um, on the on the uh, on the larger uh, homelessness issue, I'm, I'm sad to say that there's some disappointing news. The, uh, the VA, as you may remember, um, in an effort to get ahead of uh, homelessness in the Los Angeles area, where there's a very high proportion of homeless veterans, um, started building some mini um, kind of mini dormitory arrangements uh, a couple of years ago. And that was uh, supposed to be a, a short-term solution. These, these uh, are living quarters that don't have, uh, uh, don't have plumbing, you know, no, no water, no toilet facilities. You have to literally go outside to a different um, facility for, uh, uh, for bathing or uh, toileting and so on. But, um, you know, the, the VA in 2011 settled a big lawsuit in L.A. Um, that involved about 1,200 veterans who were homeless. And the VA settlement was that they would take the necessary steps to build facilities and arrange facilities to house all of these uh, homeless veterans on this very large, um, I think it's like 300 plus acres facility that uh, uh, the VA has in West LA by this year, 2023. Uh, unfortunately, they haven't met that commitment. Um, they they were going to build 770 uh, housing units by 2022. In fact, it's now 2023 and they only have 233 of those 270. So a new lawsuit has been filed to um, require the, the VA to step up and uh, comply with the original uh, uh, settlement and uh, to, um, to build those housing units. But the other, the other piece uh, of the issue that came to light with that is that the VA has done this um, 
strange thing where they they're working with the housing and urban development folks and those folks have financial cutoffs for eligibility for these these uh, housing units so it turns out that what happens is if you are a disabled veteran and you are getting both um, a high level of VA benefits and social security disability, your income is too high to be placed in the housing unit set aside for disabled veterans, which is about as much of a catch-22 as I think you can describe. So um, they're trying to sort that out. And uh, uh, as I said, a, a lawsuit's been filed there in LA and hopefully that uh, will ultimately result in um, sorting out uh, both local housing and the and the larger issue for disability. But we'll see. Absolutely. You know, this this uh, kind of brings up a thought that I have, and 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 sometimes the media and or political opponents like to malign lawyers. Um, and but this to me is a clear example how a law firm or a lawyer is able to hold the government accountable, right? Uh, you know, when, when you look at some of the most significant changes in the law, civil law, privacy law, you name it, it's because a lawyer or a team of lawyers held the government or some large corporation accountable and by doing so protected what was before an unprotected class of individuals. And so this to me is a great example of lawyering at its best because you are holding our government liable or accountable, I should say, to try to try to correct and protect the situation. That's right, Bert. And I have to say that, you know, um, there are several big law firms around the country who have really stepped up and, and provided pro bono services. Um, Morrison and Foster in San Francisco, for example, uh, uh, took on pro bono. The, the whole issue of getting people uh, identified and eligible for treatment for uh, the uh, folks who were exposed to various chemical experiments by the by the government uh, back in the 70s, and uh, and really single-handedly won that case and did a did a fantastic job. So I I think you're right that there have been real opportunities where lawyers have been able to help in in not only in the veterans arena like uh, that example, but in other areas of, as well, but it's uh, it's nice to see, and I, I think it it um, helps people to understand that uh, even though uh, lawyers are not necessarily held in high regard as a group, that there certainly are lawyers who have done fine things for our communities and should be looked up to. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and speaking of lawyers and, and things in, in the veterans, uh, 
how can lawyers help with some of these problems you talked about? I mean, we're, you know, the, not just the homelessness, but uh, the PTSD and the PACT Act and, and uh, we already talked about the foreclosure and, you know, we have the bad water at uh, Camp Lejeune. So how can lawyers help with these problems that facing our veterans? Well, you know, I, I think there are lots of opportunities for, for lawyers to help, Bert. Um, and we've we've talked about some of the uh, uh, some of the things that have been done and and continue to be done. For example, um, the uh, law student in the Veterans Benefits Clinic at uh, the Yale University School of Law in Connecticut have uh, brought a lawsuit helping veterans to um, get their discharges upgraded in situations where the veteran was discharged from the service as a result of uh, actions that were caused by mental health problems. And I think that's going to be a, 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 big, uh, a big thing in terms of helping a lot of, uh, a lot of veterans. But uh, in terms of your, your overall question, I, I think there are kind of two basic ways that lawyers can help. One is these individual situations like we were just talking about, a particular lawsuit to try to remedy a particular problem. More generically, I think um, that many veterans need help with the veterans benefits process, um, particularly for getting uh, disability pension or disability uh, compensation with the VA. And lots of those folks have had difficulty doing it on their own. And I think that firms like ours and um, others around the country that handle these veterans benefits cases can be of great assistance to veterans who are struggling to um, solve those problems, get those benefits on their own. And uh, I think that uh, that's another way that uh, lawyers can contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to point this out. Uh, the people listening to the show today can also contribute. You can share this show with everyone you know. If you know of a family and maybe uh, you know that they have veterans or maybe they're, they're currently active duty, so uh, share, this, share this episode anyway with them. Uh, a lot of our veterans tend to, tend to uh, suffer in silence, but Again, it's something that you can do that costs you no money, that helps out. It's just let them know about veteransbenefits.com. The work that, that Francis and his team do, do is extremely valuable. Um, they care deeply about our, our veterans, and it's not fair. It's not right for our veterans to fight for us, and then they have to come home and fight for the benefits that they were promised. So let's share this episode with everyone you know, uh, even if even if maybe they don't need veteransbenefits.com today, uh, and hopefully they'll never need them. But in the you know the the off chance that they might need some help, they have questions about benefits. Let them know about veteransbenefits.com. Also, as we talked about today, uh, if if they might be struggling with a foreclosure, which they're not going to tell any about anybody about, but if if you know of a veteran's family. Just let them know uh, about uh, how they can 
you know, get some help. And that number again is 877-827-3702. I'm going to put it here, or it's already here in the show notes. Uh, Francis Jackson, I want to thank you so much for helping out our veterans and, and the great work that you guys do. And, you know, happy holidays to you and your family. Looking forward to having you back uh, soon. Sounds good to me, Bert. Happy holidays to you as well and to all our listeners. All righty. Good stuff there from veterans attorney or veterans lawyer, Francis Jackson. And again, you can find out more about him and his team at veteransbenefits.com. The work that they do is literally priceless. Some of the clients that they've worked with has taken over a decade to get the benefits for these brave men and women. So again, let's share this episode with everyone you know. Let's help out. As always, my friends, thank you for being here. And remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.